all these different sports offer an angle of athletics that I think can help you become even better in the sport you specialize in. Now it's almost like you're not permitted to fail anymore if you're a kid. No, you're allowed to fail. And what a great context to fail in. There's so many wonderful lessons in sport. This is the Reform Sports Project, a podcast about restoring healthy balance and perspective in all areas of sport through education and advocacy. Hi, this is Nick Bonacore from the Reform Sports Project podcast. Joining me today is the head women's soccer coach from the University of North Carolina, Anson Dorrance. Coach Dorrance is one of the most successful coaches in the history of athletics. Under his leadership, the Tar Heels have won a staggering 21 of 31 NCAA Women's Soccer Championships. And we touch on everything from early specialization to why coach believes playing multiple sports is the right way to go about it at the youth level to competitiveness and failure and why it's so vital that kids have as much fun as possible. I say this a lot, but I am, I'm extra fired up today. I have a legend, a living legend, a GOAT, however you want to call it, one of the greatest of all time. I'm really humbled and privileged. Coach, thank you so much for hopping on, sir. Absolutely my pleasure. Thank you. Yes, sir. So where I want to start, you know, our audience is majority sports parents. We have kids, we have, you know, aspiring athletes of all different sports. And one of the topics that I love to start with really ties into I'm going to kind of tie it into another GOAT, right, who I would consider to be one of the greatest women's soccer players of all time. Quite frankly, one of the biggest names in U.S. sports history, I believe, and that's Mia Hamm. Uh, she played for you, and you know, I think it takes a GOAT to know a GOAT. And one thing about Mia that stands out to me looking back on her career is she was a multi-sport athlete. I mean, she advocates for it. She kicked field goals in high school. She played hoops, obviously tenacious soccer player. But today in today's youth sports culture, there is a big push for early sports specialization. We're talking seven, eight, nine, ten, specialized year round. I want to ask you, I mean, you have all the experience and knowledge. What are your thoughts on early sports specialization versus kids sampling and trying to play multiple sports? Yeah, I, I don't think early specialization is a good idea. Um, and uh, I know it's counterintuitive, but believe it or not, the athletes that end up becoming the best have a general sports education uh, when they're young. And I think what's critical for us uh, as parents, but also as uh, uh, youth uh, educators uh, and youth coaches, I think what's critical is to encourage all the kids that we're training and developing and the kids that are our kids uh, to sample everything, but also to keep playing everything as long as they can. One of my favorite uh, podcasts that I did uh, uh, was interviewing the parents of Gio Reyna. Gio Reyna is an American superstar uh, player that's the uh, only American teenager to play in the Champions League. He plays for Borussia Dortmund in the Bundesliga, and he's one of our uh, rising stars. And as a teenager, he was representing uh, Borussia Dortmund in the Champions League, which, of course, in our game, is the ultimate uh, uh, club competition. Uh, the Bundesliga is certainly a great uh, uh, league in Germany. The uh, English Premier League is certainly a great league in England. But all the teams that compete in the Champions League are the best of the best. Uh, and here's this teenager starting for Borussia Dortmund that is just an incredible player. So I had his mom and dad on. Uh, how did I get them on? Uh, uh, his mom played for me at the University of North Carolina, mm-hmm. Daniel Egan. And the dad, of course, is one of the all-time U.S. soccer greats, Claudio Reyna. And uh, they were talking about uh, how they raised their kid. And they were talking about how even late into his mid-teens, this kid was still playing AAU basketball. 
So here's a kid that ended up the absolute cream of his sport in the United States. And what is he doing as a 14-year-old? He's playing AAU basketball. Why? Because he loved it. You know, like um, all these American kids, he played multiple sports and he wasn't willing to give up any of them. And the thing that was interesting is both his parents who were soccer experts. Both of them played for their respective national teams. Danielle Egan had some opportunities playing with me on the U.S. women's national team. And Claudio, of course, is an icon on the men's side on the national team. And all of a sudden, you know, he's probably, you know, going up to his mom and dad saying, hey, uh, mom and dad, I'm, you know, I'm going to keep playing basketball. The dad sort of said, sure. So did the mom. And so here are people that are experts in player development because Claudio also is a part of the structure uh, when he was coaching in New York and now in Austin for player development for the young kids growing up. Uh, his philosophy was, yes, play everything you want to play. I mean, have a good time, uh, fall in love with sports, and then obviously eventually fall in love with, you know, whatever sport you decide is going to be your sport. And I think that's the uh, attitude that all of us should have that are the parents of, you know, young boys and girls that want to play multiple sports. But also, uh, we've got to get rid of this, this idea. And I know it's counterintuitive because surely... The more time you spend with a particular skill set, the better you're going to be at it. Sure, yeah. But there's a certain amount of value in getting sort of a a cross-training across multiple sports because all these different sports offer an angle of athletics that I think can help you become even better in the sport you specialize in. And I think, so there's another element. And I love how you touched on that, the crossover of sports, because you can see it. Basketball, soccer, even lacrosse and all these sports, they kind of have the same movements. I mean, even hockey for that matter. But where I want to go with this is it's a subject I believe is near and dear to your heart. I've read many articles and I've heard you on other podcasts talking about it. And I've interviewed, and this is where I want to talk about the crossover from sports. So I'm going to name a few coaches. I mean, you probably know who they are. Jim Calhoun, who is the head coach of University of Connecticut, uh, won several national titles. Uh, Tim Corbin, Vanderbilt University. Mike Fox, who was at Carolina, uh, one of your colleagues for many years. And I can go on and on. Every single one of them has brought up that there is an element of competition, competitiveness that comes. And I'm going to give you this quote from former Arizona State head baseball coach Tracy Smith that I thought was amazing, and I want to see where you go with it. He said, Nick, I'd rather have a kid who I'm recruiting to come to Arizona State and play baseball in the wintertime standing on a free throw line, getting ready to shoot a one-and-one late in his game for his high school, then standing in a batting cage taking swings. That competition, that pressure, that moment, that competitiveness is going to translate, help him be a better baseball player. All of them have agreed, competition, the competitiveness. Can you talk about specifically that attitude, that mentality, competition-wise, that can come from being you know, versatile and, and subjected to different elements in different sports? Well, absolutely. I think whenever I'm interviewed about the uh, long-term success of our program, I bring up three critical elements that have helped put us in this position. And the first element was always uh, um, this thing you're talking about right now, this, this competitive thing. And obviously, I think all of us coach through our own natures. And uh, I've always loved sports, and I've always loved all sports. You know, uh, there's not a sport out there I don't really enjoy playing. Uh, and I've played all these different sports growing up. And I think what separated us when we started coaching was this attitude that I'm always curious to find out who's the best at everything in every practice. So what we've done from the beginning at the University of North Carolina is we've structured our training environments to be uh, ranked competitions. And so we have 28 different competitive categories that our athletes compete in. Sometimes they just compete in it once a semester. 
we bring them all back for a beep test. A beep test is a cardiovascular test where basically you're running about 20 meters and then a beep goes off and then you change directions and go back to the starting line. It goes off again. These beeps keep going off. And what happens in a beep test is the beeps get closer and closer together. So you've got to run faster and faster. And if eventually you miss a beep, you're warned. In other words, you don't get back to the line on the beep. You're warned. And then if you miss it for a second time, you're thrown out of the competition. And we have a standard. We want our kids to get to 40 on the beat. And so uh, after this thing, and we do this thing in the first part of the first practice when they come back in August, is they're all ranked. So sometimes the competitions are once a semester competitions, but then they're put up on a bulletin board. And some of the competitions are weekly. Some of them are, you know, uh, monthly. And uh, you sort of move up and down this competitive ladder based on your success in these things. And just like in all the sports like soccer, basketball would certainly be one. Field hockey would be one. Lacrosse. You're playing, you know, uh, 1v1s, 2v2s, 3v3s, 4v4s, 5v5s, etc., all the way up to 11v11s. And if you're part of a winning team, you have a winning percentage. If you're part of a losing team, that obviously hurts your winning percentage. We have drafts, player drafts before these competitions, so you will see where you stand with your teammates because uh, your draft rank is a matter of public record. Sure. All these different elements are a part of the way we're constructing our training environments. And why are we constructing them this way? We want the athlete to decide to be the alpha. Who's the alpha in this exercise? Who's going to dominate this? Who's going to dominate that? And what you're really training is you're training the athlete's psychological dimension. And it's critical that you train this aspect of an athlete. Because so interesting, mentioned Tim Corbin. Tim and I are good friends, and it's really interesting. We've had a lot of different groups approach us recently about competition from the baseball world, and I just couldn't really figure it out. And then finally, um, we were chatting with the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates. We were up there uh, playing against Pitt because Pitt is a part of the ACC, and we're up there playing. Uh, and the Pirates found out I was up there through uh, a guy that uh, used to work with my athletes and academics at UNC and now is a consultant for the Pirates. So he asked me if I wouldn't mind speaking to the executive board of the Pittsburgh Pirates. And I said, absolutely no problem, because actually uh, when I was a boy, I was a huge Pirates fan. So what oh, an okay. amazing honor for me to, you know, speak to the, the Pirates leadership. And the thing that we're most curious about was setting up competitions because here's what's interesting about baseball baseball isn't structured as a competition until the games begin and as a result they've got to figure out ways to structure competition into their training yeah uh because if they don't they're losing out on what you described as tim corbin or the, the arizona state coach i can't remember who you were referencing yeah tracy smith yeah 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 arizona state yeah Basically, you know, I was on the free throw line for a one and one and all of a sudden they've got to have this focus and they've got to have all these different elements. Well, I think you can train that because we've been training it forever. And I think the cauldron is one reason we've been consistently successful at North Carolina. And when I was first appointed to coach the U.S. Women's National Team, and basically I'm coaching in the world's game. This is not our game. Sure. When I was hired, we had never won a game in international competition. And five years after I was hired, we were world champions in the world's game. This isn't even our game. How did we do it? We did it because my kids were more competitive than all these other countries that had soccer as a part of their culture. So we had identified something that I think was unique. Uh, We had identified something that wasn't something that was comfortable in the uh, women's sports uh, across sports, but also across the globe. 
and it sort of struck a chord, and it's made all the difference for us. And the United States is still on top of the world in women's soccer because of this one quality. There are other countries out there that are better technically, like the Japanese. There are countries out there that are just as good athletically, like the French. There are countries out there that are better tactically, like the Germans, the Dutch, the Italians, the Spaniards. We could go on and on and on, and yet who keeps winning? Uh, well, the United States. And so uh, this stuff you're talking about right now, this this competitive fire, you can develop it. And yes, you have to practice it. This is an absolutely critical element that should be a part of every coach's platform. Now, of course, I'm saying this and you're telling me that on this call are, you know, parents and youth coaches and, and kids. Uh, there's a demarcation line. And I don't think that, you know, this should be the end all when you're incredibly young as a sportsman or a sportswoman uh, or a youth sports coach, because obviously one of the worst things about youth coaching is the coaches that are overly competitive. Glad you brought that up. Yeah. Yeah. They basically drive the players uh, crazy. Uh, I think basically you're moral imperative as a youth coach is to make sure the kid leaves practice of having had the time of his life playing the sport. And I don't think in my sport uh, you should start to make things extraordinarily competitive until uh, it's Olympic development level at a U14 level or above. So I think you've got to wait a little. So please don't, if you're a U10 coach, start to make everything competitive. Have as your primary interest making sure everything is fun. The mission of a youth coach is to make sure the kid is having the time of his or her life and that they can trust adults to protect them, uh, to keep them safe, to make sure they're enjoying life. So I, I give these lectures all the time and then I see these youth coaches, you know, spinning off the rails. And I don't want any of the comments I'm making right now about competition to seep into youth sport. The moral imperative for a youth coach is to make sure it's fun. So what I'm addressing right now are the higher level uh, athletes, the older athletes, because then the thing you are going to be training is the psychological dimension, which is your capacity to focus and compete at the highest level to train your psychological dimension. That's Anton Dorrance, head women's soccer coach at the University of North Carolina. When we return, Coach Dorrance and I talk further about competitiveness and failure. Welcome back to the Reform Sports Project podcast, where Coach Dorrance and I left off. We were about to dig further into competitiveness and what age groups that's appropriate for, and the importance of failure and having fun. You know, and I, I've been doing this for a while now, and some people interpret this, I'm really glad you brought that up. I have yet to come across a definition that says youth or quote unquote, uh, you know, youth sports is at this age and see, and everything else is above that. I think when you're in high school, it's a little bit different than when you're in middle school and younger. I mean, and I know there's different examples, but as far as the competitiveness, you know, and pushing towards developing the competitive mind and all of that, I would love it if you can kind of touch on a little bit of details because people will hear something like that. And quite frankly, coach, I think that the 10,000 hour rule, you know, Malcolm Gladwell and all that, I think that in turn was taken out of context in some ways and really pushed this early specialization. Like let's, Hey, Tiger Woods, right? Let's start our kid at three. 10,000 hours. And next thing you know, we got ACL tears and Tommy John surgeries and 14 year olds are normal nowadays, whereas 25 years ago it was unheard of. So there is an element of pushing too fast, but I always try to say, and I'm curious as your thoughts, I think you can teach kids to be competitive, compete to win at the youth ages, meaning let's call it 12U. 
I think you can teach them how to be competitive while still having a great time. Do you think that's the case? And if it is or isn't, how can you maybe as a youth coach do that, right? Have fun and still teach kids to be on a track towards competitiveness. Yeah, I think you can do that, but I'm always afraid when you start to, you know, open that up that all of a sudden (laughs) these people that aren't really experts uh, in this area uh, cross a line. I think still for the youth coach, what's critical is to help that kid fall in love with sports, fall in love with the value of sports, which is socialization, learning to cooperate with your peers uh, understanding and embracing the challenge of of failure, because mm. um, I think too often uh, the biggest mistakes parents make these days, certainly with all the entitled kids I'm coaching, oh. is they want to protect their kids, you know, from failure. And one of the things that's best about sport, believe it or not, is failure, because you're teaching resilience. You're teaching, you know, uh, don't worry about it. The sun's going to be up there in the sky tomorrow morning. Uh, the world's going to be fine. And, uh, I, I mean, what's happening right now, it's, it's almost like uh, you're not permitted to fail anymore if you're a kid and I'm your father. And no, you're allowed to fail. And what a great context to fail in. And then you get to make decisions. Well, uh Are you going to work a little harder? And does it really matter? I mean, there's so many wonderful lessons in sport. And the book I recommend to people to read is actually about this balance. And the book is called Range. David Epstein. uh, That's correct. I mean, the other part of the, the title of the book is Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World. And he does talk about Tiger Woods. There are exceptions. Tiger Woods is an exception. Uh, Tiger Woods, you know, uh, because he loved his father and they developed a great relationship through golf. And yeah, he was a specialist when he was young. And is he one of the greatest of all time? Absolutely. So there are exceptions to this generalist rule. But then in the book, uh, David Epstein goes through all the different kinds of sports that these other greatest of all time athletes played growing up. And I think uh, that's the direction I think most of us should go in. Are there exceptions to this generalization uh, rule that we're talking about? Absolutely. And Tiger Woods is probably the the best one. But what I would recommend for people to do if they're really interested in this area is to actually buy the David Epstein book. And it'll share all these different examples of why uh, a generalist is probably the route to go. Um, But I think the critical message for the youth coaches is to make everything fun. Now, can you make it somewhat competitive? Yes, but I think too often, too many of the coaches and too many of the parents go overboard in this area. And I think it ends up scarring the kids in a negative way. Because what's happening in my sport, which is shocking, is they're quitting our sport in droves. Mm. The kids that are playing uh, youth soccer end up, you know, 14, 15, 16-year-olds. They're quitting. Why are they quitting? They're quitting because the coach is taking his youth matches on weekends too seriously. Um, and he's not playing his entire roster. He's playing the best 11 kids because that helps him win. The other seven on his 18-player roster are playing limited minutes because what's clearly most important for the coach, but also for the culture that we've raised these kids in, is winning. And, of course, uh, it's that's not good. I think uh, even at UNC, we play a deep roster. I've always believed in playing a deep roster. In fact, I am criticized for it by my peers 
fun, even criticized for it on the air by the color commentators, who all come from backgrounds of other coaches who, you know, don't play a maximum number of players. Um, and I just don't understand. I don't understand why all these different groups seem to think that you've got to be a soccer purist and go by FIFA rules where you're allowed three substitutions, which is absolutely absurd. And I don't think I really have to prove that I can coach with three substitutions. <laughs> Heck, I want a world championship with it. And so I know how to do three substitutions, but I think it's ridiculous. Play the kids you recruit. Um, and I think at a youth level, play the kids on your team. Mm. I mean, do you really have to win every game? Is that, you know, getting that trophy for being the state champion at a U-12 level? Is that really... Coach, know? let's be honest here. When you're recruiting, you, you know you're asking the recruits about their 8U career, right? I mean, isn't that an intricate part of your recruiting process? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, you get it as well. So I think what's critical when we talk about this competitive piece is I think it's more important as they get older and specialize. And when they're younger, again, the priority has to be, uh, uh, let's make sure this is fun. Coach, I could spend all day on the phone with you. This is awesome. First and foremost, you're, you're, you're giving away, you know, gold here, and it's going to be so helpful for people. There's a lot of kids, like I said, parents, uh, recruits, all of these people are going to want to know where they can get more hands-on info. They want to dig into the UNC, you know, women's soccer culture. They want to know and learn more about one of the greatest of all time. Where can they find you? Where can they find your books, your podcasts, any material to learn more about what you do? Uh, the book the uh, baseball team bought and distributed among their executive staff was The Man Watching. The author is Tim Carruthers. Jim is a former Sports Illustrated senior writer, graduated from the University of North Carolina. They came home and spent five years with us. And the book is all the different aspects of our culture. So the cauldron is in there. Uh, the way we uh, basically treat our kids is in there. But what's also in there are priorities. And our priorities actually are human development. Uh, even though, yes, I'm a soccer coach, uh, the priority is to develop uh, someone's character above everything else uh, and then to develop the kid academically uh, as a secondary uh, characteristic to character and then finally to develop them as soccer players. So that book, uh, it's a wonderful book. And it's not a hagiography. It's basically, there's a whole chapter in there from my critics. So if you want to know, what my critics think about what we've done. It's all in there. And then a couple books that I wrote with uh, co-authors, uh, Training Soccer Champions, which has chapters in there about the cauldron. And that's mm. a very popular book uh, across sports because it talks about uh, how to set up your cauldrons regardless of the sport. Then the other one is about soccer development for youth. So uh, Vision of a Champion is for youth. Training Soccer Champions is for uh, coaches. And those are the books that uh, basically will give insights into our culture, into the cauldron, into what I consider critical for uh, player development. And then we also have a podcast out there that's after each chapter in Vision of a Champion. And that podcast is the Vision of a Champion podcast. And there I'm interviewing a lot of the UNC greats like the Mia Hams, you know, the Christine Lillies, the uh, Crystal Dunn's, the Tobin Heaths. But also, right now, the, the world's best player, one of my former players, uh, the right back for England, Lucy Bronze. Oh, wow. We're interviewing all these great people. And so the Vision of a Champion podcast, I think, will give insights from all these former Tar Heel greats about how people can get to their potential. Coach, you're the man. I cannot thank you enough. You're a legend and, and truly humbled by you uh, coming on here, Coach. Well, my pleasure, and I appreciate the interview, and uh, good luck with everything. That's Anton Dorrance, head women's soccer coach at the University of North Carolina. 
Thanks for listening to the Reform Sports Project podcast. I'm Nick Bonacore, and our goal is to restore a healthy balance and perspective in all areas of sport through education and advocacy. For updates, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or check out our website by searching for the Reform Sports Project.